0: Well, right now we're in the middle of our series uh, about vision and what God is wanting to do with our church going forward. And we're in the very last week, which means next week we are in the book of Acts again. Somebody get excited. Come on. There you go. And this whole vision series started because I got, I, I was not just one or two or three. I got quite a bit of Of uh, emails regarding tithe. And just so you know, what our church is going to start doing is we have just built a studio downstairs where we're going to start doing podcasts. Yeah. Okay. Come on. Somebody's, there's three of you. You're excited about the podcast and, and what we're going to do, the very first podcast we'll do, I think we're looking at Monday through Thursday is we're just going to reiterate things in the service or during the sermon. So a lot of times we preach really difficult topics and we can't, Take forty minutes to go over it, and so that's going to be one of our podcasts. Is we're gonna we're gonna go back and uh, we're gonna have our pastoral staff say, "Did Pastor Justin really say that? And what did he mean by that?" And just kind of dive even deeper into God's word because we love God's word here. And then the other podcast we're gonna do is called "The Elephant in the Room," and so we're gonna address all those difficult questions that uh, you have when you come to church kind of like uh, what is tithe? Why do churches talk about money? Um, you know, t- talking about uh, gender roles in the Bible. Just we're going we're gonna to address all those difficult topics. And so each week we'll have guest uh, speakers come and join us. Uh, we'll have professors from our, some of our seminaries in the Assemblies of God and just different leaders throughout the Assemblies of God come and address some of those questions with us. And so that is coming. We love God's word. We love that you're hungry. I love getting questions about tithing. Some of you are thinking, why, how in the world did Pastor Justin tie the question of what is tithes and offerings into a vision series? And really, I'm going to just reiterate what I've said uh, two weeks ago, last week. It's not really about money. It's about your heart. God wants your heart. And that's what we've been talking about. And we want to build a church where everybody's given their hearts to Jesus. God's mission is their purpose and their priority in life, and that's kind of what we've been talking about. We've been in the book of 1 Chronicles. We've been looking at chapter 29, and we've just kind of been camping out there. And uh, before we get started, can we pray? Let's pray. Father, we know that we are abundantly blessed here in this church today, particularly compared to the rest of the world. We praise you for your provision. We don't take any of it for granted. We, we thank you for all all of your blessings and the abundance of resources that you have provided us beyond just things. And we pray, especially, especially today, living amidst a a very materialistic culture that by your spirit and through your word, you would change our minds and our hearts to be one with yours, that you would make us and mold us into a people who who are hungry and thirsty for more of you. That we would want to see you glorified in everything that we do. And as the pastor and the spiritual leader of this spiritual community, I pray that we would also be faithful in this season right now in redemptive history to give in a way that honors and glorifies you. So we pray that you would teach us today through your word, transform our hearts that we would give with our whole hearts, willingly just as we see in the text that we're looking at today, and even in greater ways really, than we see here today, because we are giving based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, and everybody says, amen. Again, if you missed last week, real quick recap, uh, really just in like three sentences here. It was David's desires, we come to chapter 29, it was King David's desire to build a house where the people might come and worship God. And so we're looking at uh, uh, one of his prayers at the end of this This book in the Bible, and it really shows you this David's life philosophy. And so, we've been looking at that. So, he wanted to build this house uh, that would be a, a place of worship for God, but because of all the different wars that David fought in, God said that David could not build the house. However, God did say that David could contribute funds necessary to build the house to draw the plans and to gather the materials. And in the text, David, we looked already, but David goes to uh, Aruna. He's the guy who owns this field. He wants to buy a field where they're going to build the temple. And this, the owner says, hey, look, you can just have it. You can have the field. And David responds a certain way. And I, again, will look at it again. But he says, no, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David refuses to give God something that he could get for free. He can't give something uh, that didn't cost him. All right. He gets it. David knew that God had given him so much and he wanted to show his love towards God in response. And so David is not willing to take a freebie. He is not willing to give something to God that didn't cost him. And, and so we've, we've been looking at this, this prayer really is what it is. There's four truths from David's prayer that were the foundation of David's life philosophy, which should also be the foundation of ours. And these four truths, they, they have to be our foundation. They've got to be what we build upon. And last week we just covered one, right? We covered the first truth that's God's amazing grace is a game changer. It is a game changer. When you've experienced God's grace, it changes everything. so david who insisted on paying full price for the field uh, there's no way that david's going to give something that didn't cost him anything and what's what's being shown here is is again god doesn't need anything god does not need your money don't walk into here thinking god needs your money he doesn't need anything but people touched by god's grace want to give back so what's our response to a God who has been so incredibly generous to us? And think about it for a moment. Where would you be if you didn't have Jesus? Now, if we aren't living radical, radically generous lives, do we really have the concept of God's grace? Do we really get it? Again, I, I, I've grown up in the church, and so... I was probably—I told you the story about my paper route. I was a seventh grader, arguing and fighting with my dad that I will not live under the Old Testament laws, and I do not have to give a tenth of what I earn for my paper route money to God. And uh, I live under grace, Dad. I live under the New Covenant, and I just remember my dad. Well, he. He required not only 10 percent, but he tacked on another you 're going to give 10 percent to missions after that conversation. But I remember my dad saying, you're right, you, you don't live under the law. you live under the new covenant, which means you give everything. Man, you 've experienced God 's grace, justin and it should make you want to give everything." So really, it, 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 comes, it comes down again, the question was the tithe. What is a tithe? And, and do I have to give a tithe? To, again, we live, we live under the new covenant. I, I would say it's a good starting point, the tithe. And I say a good starting point. Because if we're being honest, that's not really even generous. It's more of a statement of trust, right? Generosity is when you begin to do what David did. You deprive yourself of certain things for others. And, and just so you know, if this makes you uncomfortable, you're not alone. Me too. <laughs> okay. It's good if it's making us uncomfortable. But we learn that our giving is always, always attached to our hearts. In fact, read verse 9 with me. We'll go, we'll, we'll jump all around this chapter today, but it says, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly with a whole heart. They had offered freely to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced greatly. See, you don't And you can't forget, let's jump back a few verses. You can't forget David is the one who gives this invitation to give. And then he led by example and he gave. But back in verse five, we see the invitation. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Again, I want you to see something because this language literally means who will devote their hearts to the Lord? Who's going to devote their hearts to the Lord? Again, it it's not about money. It's not about money. God wants your hearts. And oftentimes, money is very attached to our hearts. So what we're seeing here in chapter 29 is the overflow of a God-centered heart. That heart is attached to our giving. We give what we're passionate about. It's true. We do. If you were to look at my checkbook, you would see Justin's passionate about, I hope you would say he's passionate about God and his kingdom. You would also, unfortunately, probably say, man, he really likes Skyline. <laughs> my wife is in, <laughs> she is into this Dave Ramsey thing right now, which is really good, by the way, Financial Peace University. But I, in a way, I love it, and in a way, I hate it, because she now knows how much money I spend on Skyline every month. And honestly, I'm glad she's shown it to me because it's like, wow, <laughs> wow. In fact, Skyline down the road, the other day we went in just I think a Sunday or two ago and they're handing me mail now. Guys, I don't live at Skyline, don't, <laughs> the true story, she came up to me, hey Rev, <laughs> we, we're getting mailed now here for you. This is addressed to Pastor Justin of New Heights Church with a little note, I know he'll be here. <laughs> All right. So our heart and our money always go together. Where our money is shows where our heart is. And that's a hard pill to swallow. I just told you, I just saw how much money I spent on Skyline. Our giving's always attached to our hearts. So, so that's what we learned last week. We got through the first truth from David's prayer. Uh, God's amazing grace is a game changer. When you've experienced it, it's going to affect your giving. It just will. Now let's cover the other three truths. Number two, Here's the, here's the second truth. Know that everything we have, and these are really basic and simple. <laughs> We're just keeping it real. Know that everything we have comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. Look at, with me at verse 11. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And then I want you to jump down to verse 14. It says, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. So are you seeing this here? Are you catching this? He's being very repetitive. What do good teachers do? Repeat, 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 repeat. I'm in the middle of a scuba diving class right now. Not, not by my choice. My wife signed me up. She thought it'd be a good, a good way for me to spend my time. And she signed me up with Asher. It was a Christmas gift. And she's not in here, so I can say this. She will go back and watch. Liz, it was an awesome gift, and I'm so happy you did this. But our teacher repeats over and over and over and over and over. And he's telling me, he was teaching this concept to me, and he said it to me probably eight times. And literally, he said, I know I'm boring you. I'm going to repeat it eight eight times because if I repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, you're going to get it. Guess who got it wrong on the test? <laughs> See, he didn't have to repeat it eight. He should have repeated it 10 with me. But so good teachers repeat and, and David's repeating this truth over and over. And what's he expressing is that God is the owner of everything, of all things. He's saying that everything we just gave to you already belonged to you. God's the owner of all things. And this is the truth all throughout the Bible. By the way, God's the owner of all things. Listen to me. God owns your house. God owns your car. God owns your iPhone. God owns your TV. He owns your boat. Your boat. I don't have a boat. But he owns your boat. If I had a boat, he'd own it. (laughs) He owns your jet ski, your clothes. And for that matter, really, God owns you. God owns you. God owns your wallet and everything in it. He owns your bank account and everything in it. So anything that we give is really just giving back to him what he already owns. I remember when I was a youth pastor uh, right out of Bible college, Liz and I were just married and we didn't get the, the best salary starting out. And I remember we were driving, uh, well, a beat up old broken down car. In fact, when Allie was born, our car broke down. We had to borrow a van from good old brother Cecil in the church. And he was kind of a handyman. And he said, I got an extra van you could use until you figure things out. And so we borrowed his van. I remember when Allie was born and we were putting in the car seat. It was right next to a toilet because he was going to a, install a toilet later that day. And uh, but, so he was so kind and generous to let me borrow that van. And we drove that around until our car was fixed. And it would be like me going back to old brother Cecil with his van that he gave me and saying, hey, brother Cecil, listen, out of the depth of my heart and generosity... I want to give this car to you. He would be like, okay, well, thank you for your humble generosity, but the car's mine already, right? Because the reality, listen, the reality is anything we give to God, he already owns. We're simply stewards of it. Or another way to put it is this, God is the giver of all things and we are his servants. So again, not just money. Those talents Those gifts, those abilities that you have, not yours. Nothing you have belongs to you. You say, I worked hard for all of this stuff. Great. The skills and the talents that you use to earn that money. Where did you get that from? The air you breathe, the health you enjoyed. Where did you get that from? All you have comes from God and it all belongs to God. All of it, not a penny you have, not a thing you own truly belongs to you. Somebody's excited. God has authority to say what to do with those things. Those gifts and those abilities that you have, God has the authority to tell you what to do with them. Your money, he has the authority to tell you where to direct it. We are not masters with our money. We are servants with our money. We are not masters with our gifts and abilities. We are servants with our gifts and abilities. This is so important that you understand this. Jesus is Lord over everything, even the decisions that you make. Listen, when you give your life to Jesus, you have lost the right to determine the direction of your life. Jesus directs our paths. Jesus is going to direct your path when you say yes to him. He directs every decision we make and not just every decision we make, but he determines every dollar we spend. Every dollar we spend. We as servants of Jesus, we're not in control of our spending. God's in control of our spending. He leads, he guides, he gets to say what to do with it because he is the owner. He is the giver. We are the stewards. It's the whole idea that David is praying here. That's why he's repeating it over and over and over again, that everything that they gave already belonged to God. And they're only giving because their hearts were driven by God to give. So if all this is from God, and we're we're, we're supposed to be good stewards of it, what does he want us to do with money? And I'm telling you, the Bible has all kinds of answers. I'm gonna focus on one thing real quick here. And again, the Bible... You want to know, you want direction for your life. You want to know what to do with your money or your gifts and your abilities or you want a guide for your life. You want to hear from God, open the word of God, right? (laughs) One of the obvious reasons we've been given money from God is is to provide our needs. Let's talk about that. Okay. We all have asked this question Will God provide what I need? Will He provide what I need? We I think we've all wrestled with that question. In fact, I could probably almost say with 100% certainty that everybody in here has asked that question at some point in their life. And the truth is that that question can provoke le- legitimate fear. It can. It's a scary thing. One of my all-time favorite characters in the Bible is Elijah. I love this guy. Uh, <laughs> I love him because The guy would be on top of the world spiritually, only to be in the pit of despair the next moment. How many of you can relate to that? Be honest. You can relate to Elijah. Man, you've been up at the altar, and you're on top of the mountain. You walk out those doors, and you get hit with the reality of life. And all of a sudden, you're in the pit of despair again. I will get so encouraged on Easter Sunday. I see everybody come and accept Jesus, and then it, and the next week, it's the reality. I don't see any of those people come back. And it's like, man, we gotta do something better. All of a sudden, I was at the top of the mountain. Now I'm in the pit of despair. We're human, we do it. Your pastor's human, too. So one of my favorite stories all time. Again, I just love studying Elijah. Read with me. I wanna read this story to you real quick. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite... <laughs> Of Tishbe? I don't know. <laughs> of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. It's a weird statement. Just <laughs> it is. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Again, his life is not his. He does and goes where the Lord tells him to go and he does what the Lord tells him to do. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Listen, this story takes place during Ahab's reign in Israel. Now Ahab, Ahab was a bad, horrible, terrible dude. Ahab was the poster child for bully. Ahab was sick and twisted, just a horrible, horrible human being. He officially replaced the true God of Israel with a poser called Baal. By the way, that's what the world does. God deserves to sit on the throne and we always put posers on that throne. We will replace God with posers. It's just what we do. But if it wasn't bad enough, he then turned the people's hearts towards this false God until God raised up a prophet. Here's my guy, Elijah. Raises up Elijah to turn their hearts back to himself and God showed his power over Baal by cutting off the water supply and telling Elijah to leave home and wait for for provisions in a brook. And you know what happened next? Elijah had to enroll in the school of hard knocks. And I'm telling you, his education wasn't learning how to give better prophetic speeches or grow a big ministry. No, instead, God told Elijah to trust him, leading him with a simple promise. I have commanded the ravens to feed you. And each day, that is exactly what he did. And guess what? You and me, we can be confident that God is going to take care of us because he knows what we need. And if you're struggling this morning with this thought, I want you to write these four ways to grow your trust in God's provision. Because you're talking about money. We've got to address provision, right? Number one, write this down, rest in God's promises. See, you need to understand this. God won't necessarily always care for you in the same way he cares for others. You can't necessarily look at somebody else's story and say, well, that's that's how God is going to provide for me. You're going to have to grow your own story. We all struggle with this. Even I, as a pastor, do this. I'll hear somebody's story, and I'll be like, man, that's amazing. I want that same thing to happen at this church. So true story. I heard uh, Pastor Brian Jarrett, a really great leader in the Assemblies of God, felt the Lord telling him uh, in the beginning of his ministry at his first church he pastored to give up his salary for an entire year and give it to missions. And uh, he, was gonna, he was gonna live off uh, whatever the Lord provided. And so he did this. And all of a sudden, it just sparked in his church this spirit of generosity. And the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit just was falling on that church. And it went from like 200 to like 3,000 in a matter of three years. So I'm hearing this, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Liz, I'm going to give up my salary. <laughs> and I mean, this is a true story. And I'm like, I love it so much. I'm going to just, we can do it. You got to go teach. We'll live off your salary. We're going to move into one of the church parsonages. We can do this. Like, I'm going to give my salary back to the church as a pledge. And, you know, Liz is like, whoa. I told her right here in the front row when we were praying on a, on a uh, Wednesday during the time of prayer. And she said, look, I'm willing to do whatever you really feel like God is telling you. I just, please pray. (laughs) Please pray about this. So I talked to one of my mentors, good man. I love him to death. He's a brother to me. And I look up to him spiritually. And I'll never forget what he said. Because I said, I think I'm going to do this. And he just looked at me and he said, Justin, you need to be careful that you're doing it because God told you to do it and not because you want the results of this other story. Oh, yeah, I had to think about it. Because the truth was, I was looking at somebody else's story, right, of how God provided, how he brought growth to their church. And I'm thinking, well, that's the way God's going to do it here. You can't necessarily do that. Now, God is always going to provide, but you've got to understand that God won't necessarily always care for you in the same way he cares for others. So what you need to learn from others is that this, this never-changing truth is that God takes care of his children. He will never fail. You can take it to the bank. Look with me real quick at at Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 26. Jesus tells us, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And here's where, a couple verses down, here's where he tells you how to put this principle into place. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Or look at the way Paul says it. Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The ravens were cared for by God so that they could care for Elijah. And God is also going to care for you if you're his child. That's a promise in the Bible and you could take it to the bank. Number two, remember God's past faithfulness. God taught Elijah to trust early in his ministry. And I wonder how many times later on in his life he thought back to the days where where the ravens were feeding him. And he was encouraged by that. He remembered how God miraculously provided for him. So important and so essential because there are gonna be times and days in your life where it feels like it ain't coming through. Right? And Elijah experienced this. Remember, it said the brook dried up. God doesn't train his children to trust him in just one situation. He often changes our circumstances to teach us to trust him in new ways. So when you face tomorrow and you have no idea how you're going to make it, you need to command your heart to rest in your memories of God's faithfulness. Right? Write it, write it down. Write down when God miraculously provided for you. Write down the ways that he has been faithful to you. That's right, I said it, men. I said it, journal. I didn't call it a diary, I called it journaling, okay? You can do it too, fellas. Mark those moments. Share them with others. Dads, share them with your kids. Man, I loved it that my dad recorded the times of his life that where God showed up and provided miraculously because he would share those stories with me and they encouraged me. Encourage one another to remember our God is always faithful. Number three, be ready for God's unique provisions. Elijah was homeless in a gorge with birds bringing him scraps from who knows where. Okay, am I the only person who thinks that is weird? <laughs> I mean, come on, that's weird. It is. Why did God send him to a ditch with a stream rather than just to the mighty Jordan River, you know? And why, is, this was Liam's question. When we went over this, I always go over my sermons with my kids. They're the first audience. Liam said, why ravens? Why not bangles? (laughs) He said, I mean, tigers are cooler than birds, right? Well, ravens are unclean scavengers. I'll tell you that. And I think that does apply to the Baltimore ravens. But for real, think about this. It would have been the last way that a Jewish prophet would have wanted or suspected provision to come. It would have been. But isn't that like our God? He often puts us in unique situations so he can be glorified in his unique supplies. Huh? Elijah never missed a meal in the valley, never. And through that very weird and strange provision, God taught his servant that he could care for him without fail. Catch that, without fail. God is going to take you care of you. He's gonna bring you through whatever you're going through. And when you feel trapped with with no way out and reality is screaming, there is no way your needs will be met. Remember this. God is always the one who keeps his promises. Okay. Even in the unique ways. And number four, real quick, rejoice in God's present salvation. Come on, right? In your current struggle, I need you to be really careful not to overlook the tables the Lord has spread before you right now. See, what we often do is we push his plate of grace aside and we make room for worry. And the truth is we just don't have enough room on our table for worry. My wife, this last Thanksgiving, God bless her heart, she cooked up a whole meal for me. And we kind of just stayed home with our, our family. It was a really good time of rest. But I remember when she's putting everything on the table, there wasn't enough room for the pumpkin pie. And so she said, I'm just gonna put this in the garage and we can go get it later. I said, Liz... Take some of this green stuff off and put that pumpkin pie down. I don't want to have to get up and walk into the garage to cut it. We'll eat the green stuff later, I promise. (laughs) Make some room for the pumpkin pie. We just, my word, it's Thanksgiving. But we do that, don't we? We often push the plate of grace aside and we make room for worry. You don't have room on your table for worry and anxiety. Jesus said, "Do not be anxious about tomorrow, because for tomorrow will be anxious for itself." Right? Are you spending time praising God for the provision He has given you today? Now, I can say this: I'm looking at everybody, and everybody's fully clothed today. Praise God! <laughs> I, I am going somewhere with this, I promise. We have clothes. God's provided. We have a shirt on our back we have shoes. Why am I saying that? Because I've been in parts of this world where that's not the case. I have preached at churches in India and Thailand where that is not always the case. But we do today. So have you praised God for it? Have you focused on what he's provided for you today? And listen, God may not give you everything you want, but he always gives you what you need. He promises daily bread, not daily bounty. Okay. So sometimes, yeah, I get it. He gives both, but you know what? Most of the time we got to travel through dark valleys before entering green pastures. And that's just the truth. Okay. All right. So Elijah, I'll tell you, he didn't get chubby in that valley. (laughs) He wasn't gorging himself on skyline. His pockets weren't getting full. His prophetic portfolio wasn't improving but his faith was being made strong. And each time his belly growled, his heart was being trained to say in faith, the ravens are coming. The ravens are coming and it takes discipline. It's not easy, but we need to remind ourselves that the ravens are coming. And God's gifts of grace are intended like breadcrumbs to lead us down a path to a hill called Calvary, where we see his ultimate gift, the son who lived, died, and rose to give us eternal life. Come on. And so here's the deal. In in him, we've got this fail-proof promise that one day we'll be in that place where the river never runs dry because it flows from the throne of the Almighty. That's coming, okay? All things come from God. And then the Bible gives you a test to see if you understand that. We've talked about it the first week and a little bit last week. It's called the tithe. At every point in the Bible, God's prescribed that we return a tithe of what he has given given to us back to him. And it wasn't just an Old Testament thing. We talked about this. It was pre-law with Abraham. It was taught in the law by Moses. It was affirmed by Jesus after the law. 10% of all that God uh, gave to us was to be returned to him. And people say, I can't afford it can't do that just i got so many bills that's not the issue here god tells you to give to him even when you can't afford it because he uses that to show you how he can take care of you god has a way of taking what we give to him and he multiplies it back to us it is a scriptural principle now do not get me wrong you give because you want to get rich good luck you got the wrong heart this isn't some ponzi scheme this is this is not how the bible works I want you to watch this testimonial video of someone in our own church.
1: So when son Isaac was born, I knew. Well, we knew that God was calling me to be a stay-at-home mom. And I had an amazing job in my dream field, but we knew that this was what God was um, calling us to do for our family. So I quit my job to be a stay-at-home mom, but I was really blessed to be able to hold on to a bit of a part-time position. I had great favor in my old job, and really I just worked a couple of hours in the evening or on the weekends, if and when I wanted. So I got to be a stay-at-home mom. Had favored my job I was able to come in work a bit here and there Um, and and really it was the perfect setup for being a stay-at-home mom but still we were predominantly uh, a one-income family and through all that time we never questioned tithing we knew that it's it's what God had called us to do and so we stayed committed to our tithing and this went on for about five years where um, I worked a little bit on the side and then in early 2017 Uh, one day here at church, God spoke to us about giving a faith promise. So giving above our tithe and giving a specific number to missions. And it was definitely a number. They're like, okay, God, we're going to have faith that you're going to provide this. So we were committed to this number. Well, the very next week, long story short, um, right here again in church out of nowhere, God called me to quit that part-time position i was holding on to and during those five years corey's income is really what sustained us covered bills and gas groceries and my little income was really just to kind of keep us afloat to keep something extra in the bank and now here god is saying to put that aside and to leave that but um, we knew that it was him and so we stepped aside from that so now here we have this faith promise and we have less money coming in, but we knew that it was God speaking, so we continued to trust Him, we continued to tithe, continue to give our faith promise. Well, a couple months after that, in June 2017, again, out of nowhere, God clearly tells me that I was to stop um, making reduced student loan payments. When I became a stay-at-home mom, I I reduced my student loan payments, and if you don't know how that works, they will reduce your payments for like a two or three year period, but when that period is over or you stop the reduced payments, in order to still have you pay your loan off on time, they bring your payment back up to what it was, plus tack on the difference that you weren't paying. So I went from paying about $240 during the reduced payments to paying $670 a month with less income, giving a faith promise. And this brought us to a period of time where on paper we should not have been making it. When we would budget out, um, or write out our monthly budget every month, it was a minimum of $208 under where we needed to be. And we continue to tithe. We continue to give our faith promise. And actually that fall, um, when we took faith promise again at missions convention, God called us to give even more. And the ways that he provided for us um, were just unreal. And nobody knew. Nobody knew any of this. There um, were times that people randomly in the church would come up and, hey, God just spoke spoke to me to give this to you. And it'd be a check or be a Kroger gift card, or we'd find out that um, we overpaid on something a year or two earlier, and we get a, a reimbursement check, and just all these crazy little things, and how even though on paper, for a little over a year and a half, we should not have been making it. Not only did we never go without anything, but we also had every single bill always paid in full, and always paid in time, and God was just so good and so faithful, and I know that it's not because of the money we were giving, but it was because of, of our obedience to tithe, because of our obedience to Him um, to give our faith promise. And so, <clears throat> like Pastor Enos always says, God doesn't want your money, He wants your heart. And um, when you are obedient in the tithe, he's, he's going to be faithful.
0: So if you're sitting there and you're feeling led to tithe or you're feeling led to give above what you are already tithing, know that God is faithful and that He will honor your obedience. Amen. Huh? Again, not giving because they want God to doubly bless them and make them even more rich. You heard they made a, they made the commitment to give and God took care of all of their needs because God is our provider. He takes care of our needs. A lot of you are looking at the time thinking, I won't make it. Oh, ye of little faith, I'm going to make it. But the worship team, if you're out there, you can make your way back up. Number three, though, so we've, we've gone over the first and second. I promise these last ones are not as long and lengthy as the other ones. Short and simple truths. But number three, life is temporary. Eternity is forever. Life is temporary. Eternity is forever. Look with me at what David prays in verse 15. For we are strangers before you and sojourners and all our fathers as all of our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. Have you ever seen a really suspenseful movie? I am I the only guy that loves suspenseful movies? I love them. Now your experience the second time you watch it is pretty different from the first time you watch it, right? Why? Because you know how it ends. I love, I love. If you've ever seen the movie Men of Honor, it's probably my number one. Uh, favorite movie of all time, a true story about Master Chief Petty Officer Carl Brasher, the first uh, African-American master diver in the U.S. Navy. And the first time I watched it, I actually got up out of the movie theater and I, I left. And this was before you could just pull your phone out and Google it or, or go watch it on Netflix. I was in a theater, left the movie, didn't want to watch it because it was too suspenseful. I had to figure out if he lived or not. And so I waited for it to come out. Blockbuster, come on. Remember Blockbuster? Got it, and I remember fast-forwarding it to the very end, seeing that he lives, and I'm like, okay, now I can watch it. I go back, and I watch it from beginning to end after I knew the end of the story. Now, being able to fast-forward is pretty cool because things in the present look different from the perspective of the future, right? In Luke 12, Jesus tells his disciples pretty much to press fast-forward for a moment and think about their present lives from the vantage point of the end. He wants them to learn that it's only by thinking clearly about the future that they will live wisely in the present. I want you to understand something. The second coming of Jesus, he's coming back. He came once, he's coming back. He said he had come back. It's the most talked about doctrine in the Bible. New Testament writers use the second coming to motivate obedience to almost every moral command found in the Bible. In other words, listen, you gain the strength to obey God's commands by reflecting on how close eternity is. Time is short. Eternity is real. And the master is coming back soon. In America, we live in a land of abundance and that's God's gift to us. That's good. The reality is if in some of you are thinking, well, I don't live in abundance. It's Pastor Justin talking about. Look, if you got clean water, food, sufficient clothes, a roof over your head at night, a means of transportation, even if it's public, and access to a trained doctor, then you are wealthy in this world. You are. And I don't say this to make, to, to make us feel guilty about it. I'm just saying it to open our eyes to re- the reality that when most people in the world, even in the history of the world, hear the word rich, they picture us. So I say this because sometimes, again, you don't have to, we don't have to feel guilty for God blessing us. That's not my point. I'm not trying to guilt you that you got to go and give more of your time and money. I'm, or, well, we always could give more of our time and money to the kingdom, but I, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty that we're blessed. I don't, I don't feel guilty. But it's easy to become so infatuated with the benefits and the pleasures that come from wealth that we forget why God gave us the wealth, right? I love C.S. Lewis. He famously said, wealth has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. Sometimes we forget that God gave us what he gave us for an eternal investment. Not temporary, pleasure. Remember, this life is temporary, eternity is forever. Number four, here we go. The worship team up here, they're coming. I'm telling you, Pastor Stephen, I'm done. I need you. Number four, the best investment you can make is in God's kingdom. Look with me at verse 18 through 19. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. What are you doing and investing your life in that will last forever? As stewards, listen, our job is to deploy money he's given us according to his priorities and not our own desires. So what is the ultimate priority? What is his mission? Again, Jesus wants to be glorified throughout the world. Our our mission is to direct everybody's attention to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's it, that's missions. You have a purpose when you said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to following him. You all of a sudden are living on mission. You have a purpose for your life. So my question is, what are you doing and investing your life in that is gonna last forever? Because the most valuable thing on earth is this generation coming to know Jesus. I love Keith Green. How many of you guys love Keith Green? I know I'm old school. One of the best worship leaders ever. He said, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation's, generation of souls on earth. I love it. Eternity is forever. There's, there's a little narrow time we call life. Remember that dash between the day you were born and the day you die on your tombstone. And then we stand before God. The most important thing for every person at that moment is going to be what they did with Jesus. I want you to start thinking about your life from the perspective of eternity. And I'm going to be honest, for the most part, I don't give to things that aren't kingdom oriented. Why? Well, this world's passing away. Number one, eternity matters. Every person stands before God. I I definitely want to relieve suffering in this world, but eternal suffering is the greatest suffering. Where are you investing? I want to I make this as plain as possible. There's this, I know it's a hard topic to address, but again, as your spiritual leader, I, I need to address these things. If, if you're not living a life of radical generosity with the gifts, again, this isn't about money. If you're not living a life of radical generosity with the gifts that God has given you, those gifts would include money, but not limited to. If you're not, Leveraging your life and resources and talents for the kingdom of God, you're not really living as a disciple of Jesus. I love William Booth, founder of Salvation Army. I love one of the co- quotes he says. He says, Not called because you got to realize this. If you said yes to Jesus, this is your call, it's not for the pastor or the preacher we're all called to this. This is what we want to do. Build a church of people who realize that they are called to go make disciples of Jesus Christ in their life. You have a purpose. Embrace that call. William Booth said this, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the perishing entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to receive and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Why is it that we read verses in the Bible like, cast your cares upon me? We love that one. That one's from me. Yes. Put that on a bumper sticker and put it on the back of my car. Then we read, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Nope, not called to that. Come unto me and I will give you rest. Yes, another good one to put on a t-shirt. Hang that one up on your wall. And then if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me we say, well, not for me, for someone else. I have a question for you. What right do we appropriate? By what right do we appropriate the comforts of Christ, but not the commands? Matthew chapter six, 19 through 21 says, do not lay up for your spirit. Treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Look, you are you're building your life. You're you're storing up something. You're either storing up here or for eternity. Right? Every day we're we're building something. The question is, what's the foundation? What are you building on? Right? A gospel-centered life is a life that responds to the generosity of the gospel and a life that prioritizes the message of the gospel. Now, listen, it's interesting because, again, we've been in, and I'm ending, I promise, we've been in 1 Chronicles. The temple that they were building was a shadow of the real temple that was coming. The temple that was coming was not one that was going to be made with gold. It wasn't going to be made of silver. You remember what Jesus said? He said he was the real temple, at the temple that Solomon built, there was a place where sacrifices were offered and people could be brought into God's presence. Jesus was himself the presence of God in human flesh, and he was he himself our sacrifice. He was the real temple, and the temple was, was built entirely because of God's generosity, not ours. David ends his life by giving generously to the temple. He gave so generously that he altered his lifestyle to build a place where sacrifices were offered for sin. Jesus, who was the real temple, gave up his life and offered himself as the one great sacrifice for sins. So if the people were moved to sacrifice greatly by the example of David, their king, how much more should we be moved by the sacrifice of Jesus, our king? Right? You, you want to know why I put this in the vision? It's not about money. I've never preached money because I know the God I serve. This is his church and he's going to always provide. God is never in need. He does not need your money. But what was so important about these, these questions that I was getting emailed because I've seen the abuse. I've, I see it all the time. This, this, this doctrine so abused and people are manipulated to give. Let me tell you what. I want you to experience full freedom I want you to know what it's like to truly surrender and sacrifice and give everything you got to Jesus, because that's when you're going to experience full freedom. I don't want you to have to serve your wallet or your money. I want you to know how much God is going to provide for you and take care of you. And I want you to give your life, both money and your life, your talents, your time to a God that is worthy of it and a cause that is worthy of it. Because I believe your life will be forever changed. So New Heights Church, my desire as we go forward is to be a church that Jesus Christ desired. He wants us to be a movement, a movement built around a conviction that Jesus has died as the only savior for sinners and that he has risen from the dead, proving he is who he said he was and that he is the rightful Lord of the earth. And all people everywhere are now commanded to repent and invited to come home to be with him. So you know what? We're an assembly of people who are called around an idea. Jesus is our soon returning king and we have received amazing grace and it is a game changer. It changes everything. Everything we have comes from him. This life is temporary. Eternity is permanent and the best investment we can make is in God's kingdom. So that's what we're going to do. That's the vision for 2024. There it is. We are going to be a church that stops at nothing to reach all people. We are going to give everything that we have to God. All of it. He wants all of you. That's awesome. Father, we love you and praise you and worship you and glorify you. You are a good, good God. And today we take a moment and we thank you for your provisions. We are a blessed church. We are so blessed. Look at this beautiful building that you have put us in that we can come every week and gather that we could use throughout the week and have people come and use our classrooms as we explore and study your word and lives are changed and hearts are transformed. God, thank you for this building. I pray we'd use it for your glory. God, I pray over everybody in this church today, God, that they would truly follow you. That they would say yes to you and realize everything that they have, their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their money is all yours. And out of a response, after experiencing grace and mercy, our response is, God, we give it all back to you. My life, my career, my kids, my money, all of it is yours. Do with it as you please that our life would be used to bring you glory all throughout this world. That is our prayer. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.